Go ahead and give me that sanity check. <laughs> what? Ooh, too bad, so sad. Looks like you just picked up a derangement, friend. Happy Harvey here, and you'd be insane not to check out Chaotic Click Clacks. That's right, friends. Head on over to Facebook, Instagram, or Etsy and search up Chaotic Click Clacks. Peruse their exotic array of handmade gaming dice. So the next time you're staring into the gaping mall of insanity, you can do so with confidence and style. Remember, Chaotic Click Clacks, where we want to be your clack dealer. Welcome to Maximum Roll Entertainment Podcast, where we take the time to interview folks within the gaming industry. And we're going to do a little something different. We're going to do a series of dice talks with dice makers within the gaming industry. Uh, and every time I do something like this, I try to bring a professional that knows way more about it than I do. Uh, and so I brought uh, Jenna, one of our uh, Crumpets and Kerosene hosts. And she's also comes on Maximum Roll occasionally and helps me out interview other folks within the industry. So uh, welcome, Jenna. Hi, everyone. Uh, we're here with Natasha Reeves from the Folded Crane Dice. Uh, she She's uh, coming uh, from Atlanta to speak with us today. So thank you for uh, taking the time to meet with us. Thank you for having me. Right on. Well, I so, forgot to mention that Jenna is actually the dice maker for uh, Chaotic Click Clacks is her company, and she makes dice um, with uh, Maximum Roll, or we're attempting to make dice together. But yes, Jenna is here as the professional dice person because I do not know as much as uh, she does. And so when we have guests, I don't want to be like, so tell me about Dice Blender. Uh, so yeah, take it away, Jenna. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, so I am Jenna from Chaotic Click Clacks, um, and yeah, I'm here to help uh, Kelly out with uh, interviewing some awesome uh, handmade dice makers. So, um, Natasha, what inspired you to start making dice? So, it's a little bit of, a, of an interesting story. Um, I did it backwards, like I do um, pretty much everything in my life. Um, I... I uh, began uh, with the pandemic last year, I began doing uh, UV resin jewelry. And um, my friend was like, hey, you should try dice. And I was like, nah, I, I knew nothing about Dungeons and Dragons. I knew nothing about tabletop games really in general. Um, I just am very creative. And so I was like, well, eh, maybe. So um, The Witcher, Netflix show The Witcher. Um, Joey Beatty, uh, who plays Yaskier, um, is a really big D&D fan. And I was a really pretty big fan of the show. Um, and he did this Netflix. Um, it was it was he was making a, a, a some sort of he, he ended up naming it Greg. He's making some sort of demon sort of um, adversary for a D&D game. Um, and he there was a whole video on it. Netflix now or something to that effect. And he was like, I have amethyst dice, you know, they're so, and I was like, I can make dice better than that. And so the, the challenge was on, I decided, because as pretty as they were, I was like, this is, this is something I'd like to try and delve into. Um, and so I had a bunch of pressed flowers that I had pressed for my, um, my jewelry. And I ended up 
ordering um, some generic dice molds uh, from, I believe it was House of Molds. And I and I ordered them um, just to kind of get, get an idea of it. And I loved it so much because I love making miniature things that I never looked back. <laughs> So, so you don't actually even play role-playing games? I do now. I okay, did good. it at first. I <laughs> did it at first. Um, my best friend and I, um, her brother actually uh, is our DM, and he's a new DM, but he knows all about Dungeons and Dragons. And we were not able to see each other because of the pandemic. And so we ended up doing uh, Discord calls. Um, and uh, I think it's the online um, Dungeons and Dragons. Is it Roll21, I think? Roll yeah, 20. yeah, yeah. Roll20. Roll and yeah. Yep. And that's what we ended up, we ended up doing. And I made them all handmade dice, you know, and that kind of thing. And, and we just, so it, it really bloomed into something that not only could I talk with my best friend and, and be on this journey with my best friend, I made so many friends in the dice making community almost mm -hmm. immediately. Yeah. I like yeah. It. I would say that dice making and, and gaming has really, um, brought people together. I mean, over the pan, at least for me, it was really important to have those communities around me because uh, it's hard to not see anybody, so. Oh, definitely. And, you know, <clears throat> when, you, when you said you started with uh, uh, like uh, other merchandise before dice and I, I immediately looked over at my printer and I was like, you could do more than dice? <laughs> I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> I'm making so many other things. Uh, and and that's pretty cool. So did you, did you, uh, how many printers do you have now? Or do you, you still rock one? I, I do not have any dice uh, making printers. I ended up ordering masters um, from the Bloom and um, And I have, uh, I, I was able to, uh, I, I, I designed them. So it wasn't like I bought, I, I designed it with my own font and obviously with my own illustration. Um, and I was, able to make molds from them um so i have my set of uh, masters with numbers on them but i've also got blank masters and so they're oh. basically t a little bit smaller than the actual um dice with numbers and you can paint on them or do whatever you want and when you're done you can cast it again with the numbers oh interesting mm, yeah like you put them within the other, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically they're, um, I really should have brought them with me. They're in the, they're in the <laughs> other room, but um, basically they're just slightly smaller. Um, so they're just blank dice, they're po the polyhedral dice and um, you cast them with whatever colors you want. You do whatever you want on the outside. Some people use them um, if they want to put certain inclusions, like little, I don't know, little glitter that they don't want to necessarily accidentally scratch off when they're polishing. They'll yeah. do it. And so that way there's a there's a thin layer with the number around it. So it'll keep it safe without getting scratched off. Yep. Yep. Interesting. See, I learned something new. Yeah. Actually, everything so I I'm going to learn is going to be new. <laughs> that kind of brings me to the next question is what's your favorite kind of dice to make like style oh uh, i really i'm a big fan of um using mica powder I'm sure if you're you guys obviously you're aware oh, dirty yeah. pores um basically you you mix a bunch of different colors um generally speaking you can anywhere from two colors all the way up to 
eh, five so you don't get too muddy but generally I, sp I stick with about three different colors and when you're pouring the dice you lay the colors sort of side by side in a cup or on top of one another depending on what kind of patterns you want and it's kind of like pouring paint together just you, you you get these swirly swirly bits and it's really really pretty and it's also one of those things where it's it's a surprise what you can get you can only mm -hmm. um do so much and you can only control so much so it's kind of like I, I get excited whenever I pour them because I'm like exciting and a surprise um yeah. when everything cures to kind of see the swirls yep I I hear that it's completely uh a surprise and you know it's really funny because everybody asks me what my favorite part of dice making is and it's like uh when I see what they look like <laughs> after they've cured <laughs> yes <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> They're when, like, when so it, there's no part you like the best except for just demolding them. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's when like I, opening a little present or something. <laughs> when I did our first Dice Masters, I pulled it out of the, the resin. I'm like, yeah, it looks so cool. They're clear. Uh, they're clear. They were amazing. And then after I washed it and I let them set, I came back and they were just like cloudy, murky. And I'm like, what have I done wrong? And I'm sitting there. I'm like, I did it a few more times. I'm like, what the hell is happening? And Jenna's like, that's normal. And I'm like, oh God, I've made so many dice for no reason that, you know, they were too small. Like they're minis. And I'm like, how yeah. did I get this mini mold thing or the mini print thing? Uh, but I wasted so much time trying to to print those it takes about two hours to do a set <laughs> i was like am i doing something wrong why are these murky i don't understand but then you know learning about the whole polishing process i was like i'm not gonna yes make the dice. yes <laughs> i can't do i it. actually have rounded edge dice um and so when they were printed all of them were sort of that weird opaque color and in order to keep the the curves i had to consult with some other round um round dice makers and to try and figure out exactly how to polish it because if you polish it and you just normally it'll be beautiful on the on the faces but then the curves would still be opaque and so i, I it was a really big learning curve to try and figure out how to keep the curves so that way you know i don't get wonky dice with my masters which i paid so much money for yeah and, and that's yeah. one thing I've learned about um, like the legs. I spent so much time trying to get the supports to figure that out. I've watched like 10 videos and I finally figured out how to do supports somewhat, you know, decent. But yeah, I didn't know about supports, so I didn't put them on the first two rounds. And I'm like, oh, these are all ruined. How does this work? Uh, and so, yeah, you're talking about the round edges and everything. It's so hard because if your supports are a certain way, you're your tips don't come out correct. And then, uh, so it's a, it's a learning curve when it comes to doing that. And I'm like, oh, she'll polish it. She'll make it look right. But then, you know, the way you're explaining it, there's a lot more work involved. And then, you know, I'm trying to avoid those scenarios. <laughs> yeah, I only do sharp edge dice. That is ambitious of you to do round edge dice. There's a whole other ball game when it comes to round edge dice. Um, yeah. The polishing process is a lot more uh, work. It is. Because you have to you have to polish the faces, but then you have to polish every single side. And so, for instance, on the D12, um, you have five different edges. So I would polish the, you know, the face and then I would very carefully and, and I have videos on my page. You basically do a sweeping motion. So you start with it completely flat and then you sweep upwards. 
And, um, and you, but you have to do it. I have to count very carefully because if you do it too much, then you have uneven edges. And so right. I had to do that. I had to do the face and then five edges for every single that's what I was gonna ask. Like, so that way count, it would it would round. Do you count when you do it? Because I was like, oh, I do. Man, yeah. I would have just sat there and done it. Like, all right, good, it's good. And if it's a, you sound loaded dice, man. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I count I count too. Edge to like how many times I have like a perfect like <laughs> yeah it, it's one of those things where you kind of have to it and it happens you know you, you can't really just choose because I know some people say oh well, you know if I do 25 um different strokes for one one face like it's different well it, it depends on a lot of different factors but it, it really depends on kind of how how you do it you kind of have to figure out what you yeah. you'll do because like you can you can start with because when I started with my um house of house of mold mold um they were sprue molds and so um sprue molds basically uh the tip um uh on the top a little sprue so when you pour it it's got an itty bitty little hole and then you open it up and it's got a uh, basically a, a support that you have to end up um, cutting and then sanding down um and it's so much easier uh, i i do cap molds now yeah. which only has one face and it's, it's just like what you think it's a cap um but i had to learn <laughs> It was it was a steep learning curve because I had to learn exactly, you know, how many uh, times I want to, to do it and, and what I want to start with 600 uh, microns or if I want to start with 400 micron sandpaper and go from there. And so it's it's definitely been a learning curve. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> it is for sure. And I felt like the sanding and polishing was the hardest process to get down, you know. Um, yeah techniques with pouring and things like that like that was easy breezy for me to learn but the the sanding and polishing was hard and yeah well yeah because you, well, you can only you can watch something and you can replicate it but but somehow when you're sanding it's more of a hands-on process where you have to kind of feel it I know that sounds silly but you kind of have to mm -hmm. feel what it feels like and you can't yeah. really learn that immediately no, yeah, for sure. And I feel like, so I I tend to have a heavy hand, like with writing or with like anything even. Um, and so I really had to learn that it takes a really light touch because you can always sand it a little more. You can't go back after you've sanded it too much. <laughs> um, yeah, you might lose a number or two and then you've ruined the dice. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> So basically, yeah. I'll never be a dice maker. Got it. <laughs> I, I got it. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. That's I can't. Okay. Me, Kelly. That's yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to do it. I'd be so frustrated, and uh, I'd destroy it. <laughs> Throw it up. I would make so many. I'd just be like, oh, I, I made two hundred d twenties today, and I think uh, I think four. Good. I think we're good. <laughs> I read <laughs> Malcolm. So <laughs> oh man. So when so, you do, so what has been, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so, um, do you have a particular type of, of resin you like done for your dice, uh, molds, not molds, I'm sorry, your masters. Do you have a particular type? I know there's um, a few different brands. I've been shopping around trying to find one that's, uh, decent. I'm not actually sure what. I think Blue Mimic uses this, 
it's like uh the, i don't remember the 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 resin yeah yeah i think they used the uh lago yeah the i'm not entirely certain i that would be something i would have to ask ask and, and look up um with with glenn and rachel from the yeah i'm not, I, i'm not 100 sure i, think I, I actually never asked i don't have cure in inhibition though yeah gotcha. oh so you didn't need it inhibit inhibit x on your uh no i didn't okay. i didn't i was very lucky um yeah i end up four months so i i don't know about the rest of them yeah um so um what has been the most challenging part of uh learning to make dice and selling them and the whole shebang i think the most difficult is for me learning how much my talent is worth if that makes sense yep um I've been, I've been, I just, I started dice making back in June. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how to price accordingly. Um, and I found that even if I don't think it's worth what other people say it is, it's better to overprice a little bit from what I think it's worth because otherwise it almost brings down the real estate of other people's dice making, if that makes sense. I agree. Like if I'm trying to sell something super cheap, it, it, it's good. Yes. But it's also bad because it's like, well, for instance, Drew Dick dice on, um, on Instagram, she sells her stuff for about 140, 150, uh, uh, for a set. And I am still down at 50. Um, but I stay at 50, even though I don't think I'm worth it necessarily, because I don't want to take, seem like she's overpricing it, which she's not. Yeah, no, that's, that is huge. I, if um, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I saw a really great video from, um, Sunshine Arts or whatever they, she was talking about, you know, so prices are not based on the budget of the customer. It's based on the talent of the artist um, because people have given her a lot of pushback. Dark Moon Dice also got a lot of pushback um, and hers are like $85 a set and she's like big. Yeah. So that's still pretty cheap for a big dice maker in my mind, yes. you know? Yes, exactly. Um, you know, I would say that she she's probably worth, you know, close to twice that. So I think she's being pretty generous. So yeah. Yeah, there, there's a lot of um, people that, that you know, and even me, I got, so I got a four-star review on Etsy and I was like, what is this? So I looked at it and I was like, um, you know, she was like, well, this, this, for what they are, they're not worth that much. And it was one of the earlier sets that I made and I was pricing them at like 35 or 40 at the time. And I was like, that's like unheard of for a handmade handmade dice. So like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I I'm not good at selling. Anyways, I never have been. Even back in Girl Scout days, where I'm just like, please buy 
my cookies. Like, I'm so sorry, but please buy my cookies. And it's, it's, it's been a curve. It's been a learning curve um, to, cause, cause I don't know, partially I think, well, I've only, I haven't even been doing it a year, but I, I really do try and be aware of what other makers are charging because I don't want to undermine them by yeah. trying to be cheaper myself. Yep. Same, same. Um, yeah, I, yeah I think I started out and I was just like, this seems right. And I put the price down and I, I got a lot of like, it was good at the beginning because I got a lot more sales, but I really like quickly increased my price. And I'm about at the same prices as you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I struggle with that too. <laughs> Social worker in real life. So I'm not great at asking for money, but. <laughs> and, and being an outsider and, and, you know, before I met Jenna, I was always looking at, you know, handmade, handmade dice, homemade dice. Uh, and I was like, God, they're so expensive. But, you know, now looking in and seeing the process and the time it takes, uh, you know, to, to do the dice, uh, that's where the value of the person comes in uh, because the physical work, the amount of time takes two hours. So let's, let's go over that a little bit. What's from, from the beginning of, of once you start to pour, uh, like what's the average length? And both of you guys can answer this one. Uh, the process of making dice, like how long does it take from start to finish in, in each of the stages? Oh, uh, well, let's see. For me, it's a little bit longer because I don't have um, a lot of people buy um, pottery wheels, um, which help allegedly cut the time. I don't have one, so I can't say one way or the other. Um, it doesn't take me as long as it used to because now that I make my own molds, I can make sure that the dice that the molds are made after are almost perfectly finished. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll go, I'll tell you how long it took me to do my masters. How about that? That'll probably be the best because we'll I'll have to there. polish every single face, face and every single um, corner in order to get a good mold. Um, probably doing my masters took me probably about 72 hours total. It took me a while, um, mostly because I was going so slowly trying to make sure I didn't get rid of the edges. Mm -hmm. um, however, now that I have good masters and I've got good molds because of that, I only have to worry about one face um, to, to polish. And because I've got the rounded edges, I, I don't get perfect pulls every single time. I almost have to polish every single time. So probably from start to finish, it probably takes me about 10 to 15 hours um, to make sure that, I mean, not including curing time, pouring it, mixing it, you know, um, and then polishing everything, probably about 10, 10 hours uh, to finish a whole set. And that, that includes seven, seven, um, seven dice and then a coin. Okay. God, that's wow. a long time. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, like I said, I, I probably am, am very slow at it, which is, uh, I'm looking to get um, uh, a pottery wheel. But you also, um, when you're polishing, and I didn't know this at first, it matters what surface you polish on. 
Um, yeah. If you want, if you want clear, crystal clear dice, you have to polish on glass or a mirror of some sort, because I wasn't doing that at first and I couldn't figure out why. And, and um, people on dice making discoveries on Facebook were like, hey, yo, don't think you're quite doing this exactly right. Let me suggest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's where the value comes in is the amount of yep. time. That you, that yeah, it's a lot of time. Um, I'm maybe on the quicker end of things. I I think it takes me um, from start to finish, maybe between three and four hours to finish a full set. Yeah. Um, so I do have a pottery wheel. I actually rarely use it because I dislike it. I don't think I get as good of a polish with it. Mm -hmm. um, and I tend to have perfectionistic tendencies. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I don't feel like there's enough control with the pottery wheel. I don't have enough. Um, so, I mean, I went and spent money on a pottery wheel that I never use, but. <laughs> but you don't know until you, until you try. I, I know um, they've also, there's also uh, people use Dremels as well to polish Dremel with polishing little, um, little uh, additives to them. Yeah. And I, I, it's difficult to figure out because you get slight finishes depending and, it, and I guess it really has to do with what you're willing to how if you're willing to hold it that and, and hold it still while you're polishing versus on a wheel versus on you know I use a mirror yeah <laughs> so versus a mirror so I guess it really has to do with what you're comfortable price wise and what you're comfortable physically physically wise yeah. um, to try and polish I recently started trying to tumble I got a vibratory tumbler to do some uh -huh. of the polishing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, the first time I didn't take it fast enough and then my garage was a mess. Um, <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> the second time it worked all right. I just really don't like using polishes on my, like the, the additives. Yeah. They, I'm really sensitive to like everything and it made me very sick, like to be around it. Yes. Yes, because um, it's corrosive. It's it's a corrosive substance. Um, yeah. They use it. Um, I know that some of it. I have it, but I don't use it. I don't. I don't think I use it anymore. But I I bought it because people were like, "Hey, it's yep. for headlights, you know, to try and get your headlights clear." But it's this corrosive, alkaline substance. And I have actually a background in science. Um, I have a master's in biomedical sciences. Oh, it's cool. weird how I got into acting but you know that's that's completely different a different story but it's um I looked in, to see um exactly what kind of stuff it it is and it is very it's corrosive it's not necessarily like you'll get it like battery acid you'll get it and it'll just break everything down but it'll make your skin very irritated and very dry well not just my skin but like I got like sick like yes yes respiratory wise <laughs> like everything it's it's a very it's a very strong compound and yeah. um yeah. and that and that goes for PPE and pr protection like yep. when I first started I had gloves but I had latex gloves and yep. I did not have nitrile gloves and I got resin all over my hands and I couldn't figure out why and it was going through the latex gloves and you have to use nitrile gloves. Yep. Oh man. The learning curve oh. is huge on dice making. <laughs> that explains a lot. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm pouring the resin and I'm using latex gloves. Uh, uh, yeah. See, and I didn't know because I thought gloves are gloves and I, yeah. uh, at least 
math and science gloves are gloves. The only reason you would use uh, nitrile gloves, which are more expensive in a lab, is when you're using um, sharp materials because instead of pricking, if you prick yourself with a needle, for instance, with latex, you don't ever know. But with nitrile, it's designed to tear so you know that you've been breached and your, your, your gloves have been breached. Yeah. Hmm. I'm in trouble then. And yeah. I, I uh, my first, <laughs> I spilled every, like all over the place. And then the alcohol, I bumped in and I like, went on my desk and I'm like, I'm going to die yeah. in here because I forgot to put my mask on and it was a train wreck and now I'm a lot safer and, and, uh, I got it. Yeah. I've ruined, <laughs> I've ruined at least two pairs of jeans by getting drips on them because you know, once, once it's mixed, it's just, you're not going to get it out. Yeah. It's, it's never coming out. Nope. I have a crappy sweatshirt and sweatpants that I wear and like, uh, these like hard slippery things or whatever. Like they were like old moccasin things yeah. that I wear. And yeah. I only wear those clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're casting clothes. I didn't think about it that. It doesn't matter. I I was sitting there messing with it and it was dripping on my on my um, you know, my COVID clothes, which is basically just uh, you know, a shirt and, and uh what's it called? Sweatpants. And my wife comes home, she's like, uh, what's going on down there? And I'm like, I looked at this huge <laughs> white spots everywhere, and I'm like, no, no, wait, hold on now. I, I was I was doing dice stuff. <laughs> She's like, okay, <laughs> sure. And then, yeah, I was like, damn, I need to wear like a plastic suit. <laughs> Some yeah. people do. They wear like a full like hazmat like suit. I just, they do. I just cover up as much skin as I can because it's not great to get on your skin. No. Um. And yeah, with my respirator and you know, yep, yep. gloves and stuff. But yeah, I yeah. I my the pants that I use actually like have a hard like on the thighs like <laughs> it's like complete resin like yep. like football pads or something. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I, I I use my crappy jeans now for for pouring specifically, and I'm like, oh, I'm yep. gonna pour. Let me go change into my pouring clothes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And that's why the cost of dice a... go up too, because the dice makers have to purchase new clothes every quarter, <laughs> depending on how they're doing it. So yeah, yeah. Help, help, help the dice yeah, folks out. So, um, tell me about where you see yourself in five years. This is such a therapist question. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm a therapist by Where you see yourself as a dice maker in five years? Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, I. When I first started ice making, I thought it was going to be more of a hobby. And now it is half hobby, half job, um, because I love to make them so much that I don't think I could stop even if I wanted to. <laughs> um, and I, I, I have no use for, you know, 50 sets. And I also have a, a thing where my art, I'm not very good at keeping my own art. Um, I like ah. to give it to people. I like to share it with people, yep. you know? And so in five years, I would love to be at the point where I could have a, this at least as my part-time job. Um, I don't think I could ever necessarily do dice making full-time simply because like I said, I'm bad at selling myself. I'm bad at selling my goods. Um, and that just stresses me out. And I like to play it safe and be like, oh, but it's still sort of a, a hobby. And that way I don't have to be stressed about it. Um, but I would love 
to do that, maybe um, even get a booth at a convention. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, maybe with another dice maker that's that's recent. I I know Dragon Con is a huge thing here in Atlanta that I go to. Um, and I don't know if I'd necessarily be ready for a Dragon Con booth, but like maybe one of the smaller conventions, you know. And I really I I love the camaraderie that dice making brings, you know, with the consumer as well as other dice makers. And I would love to be at the point where I could, you know, have have that camaraderie and, and kind of have that where I could have at least half of my month dedicated to making things for other people. That would be really nice. How yeah. many how many sets of dice uh, do you make a month versus how many sets do you sell per month? About I just recently started doing um, commissions more than anything else. I make probably from start to finish because I have a lot of unfinished ones. I'm very good at pouring dice, but I'm not very good at finishing dice. Um, <laughs> I probably start to finish. I make about 30, 30 sets a month, 25 nice. to 30. Um and I, I like to pour, um, especially since now that I've gotten multiple um, molds, because molds take, you, you know, have to, you have to cure it depending on how long your silicone cures, and you have to make sure. Um, so you're, you're basically out of the game. And if you don't have a usable uh, mold, you're out of the game for at least two days until you make your new mold. Um, but I'm probably making about two or three sets a day. Um, and I'm not sure right now, as far as feasibility of keeping that up, I'm not entirely certain simply because, um, since the Atlanta film industry is opening up more, I'm taking more jobs. Um, but yeah, about maybe 25 to 30 sets a month. That's, that's a, that's a hefty amount. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I think probably ideally it would be more like 15 a month. I think is something that I could probably start and keep. Um, I think that this was a little bit ambitious. So I'm, I'm, I'm pulling back a little bit. I'm like, let me finish the ones that I've already got. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I got to finish them. You got to close them. <laughs> I, I get it though. It's hard yep. to say no. When it is. It really work. is. It's very difficult, especially when they come to you with some sort of new idea and you're like, oh, I could do that too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Artist brain. Got it. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Like so who is your favorite um famous dice maker hmm my favorite one of my favorites i really love drudic dice on instagram i love mm -hmm. uh she does a lot of really pretty petri pores um but i really like um oh goodness i like delirium i think delirium dice right now uh i don't know how well known that they they are but they do a lot of really cool out of the box kind of um i think at one point they did a bunch of inclusions that were just paint pieces of paint that they just put in in a mold and that that happened um they've done some painted dice they were actually my inspiration for um, getting the blank masters to do some paint paints on them because i've done i've i've got a, a butterfly set that i painted butterflies on my on my dice and i cast them and i was like this so this is all in part for delirium dice delirium dice is the one that inspired me to do that that's so awesome um well i was gonna ask who ins like what inspires your different designs like oh you, i um i i come up with really i call them harebrained ideas and usually yeah. um 
I'm a really big comic book fan. I'm a really big, um, you know, in, into fandom and into some anime. And so it's a little bit like I used to draw and I don't draw as much anymore, but it, it, anything that inspires me, um, my flowers, I have a huge garden that I planted a bunch of flowers that I press, press flowers. Um, my flowers inspire me a lot. Um, I like to look through different media, not necessarily just dice making, but a lot of different artists. You know, I know that there's um, a Instagram account that I follow that does um, pouring, pouring paint. And so anything mm -hmm. that kind of sparks my creativity of, oh, that's a really pretty color combination or, oh, I start with an idea and then it basically rabbit holes and becomes something completely new um it, it it really i think fandom is a lot i have a spider-man set that i decided way early on that i was going to make um in in, in regards to the new movie that's going to come out i don't know when it comes out but i worked on it and i was like i'm going to make a spider-man set and i actually ordered little tiny uh, web inclusions for um, for nails, and I put them in the corners of some yeah. of my uh, whatever, and I and I did UV resin so that way it cures almost immediately, and then I poured my dice. So yeah, it it uh, pop culture a lot, um, and and the outdoors, my my garden especially. Yeah. Nice, interesting Spider Man, huh? I like it. Yeah. There's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have she a lot of friends that don't play <laughs> that, that uh, don't play D and D, but if you're throwing D and D Spider Man dice at him, they'll probably be like, "I'll take a set." I don't play D and D, but just the fact that there's Spider Man. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've gotten cool. several people that have that have done that. That are like, you know, I don't play D and D, but I want a set, you know. And and I've got I've got a Baby Yoda inspired set. I've got a lot of and and that's and that's a thing with selling too. Um, because these are not my intellectual property, I, you have to be very careful how you market them um, because you can't be like, this is a baby Yoda set. And it's like, well, yeah. that's definitely not my intellectual property. I can't use that. But since it's not a drawing, since it's inspired just by colors, you know, if you if you're very careful, it's, it's, it's a very, it to be yeah, like... yeah. And if I and if I make anything that I know for a fact that I'm going to sell. Um, I make sure that I make it and like, for instance, um, Yu Yu Hakusho is a, is an old anime that I absolutely love. Um, I recently poured a set that I really love that was inspired by one of the characters, but it doesn't look like that. So if I say, oh, hey, this is a set for Yukina from, from Yu Yu Hakusho, you're like, oh, I can see that. But as it is, the way I name them, I don't name them in like, oh, this is Yukina, you know, this is, mm -hmm. you know, Demon, this is Yokai, this is, so you have to be very careful. Um, at least I, I'm very careful oh, with yeah. intellectual property. Being yeah. a, a podcasting yeah. Uh, network. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, it's a very fine line because it's like, well, fan art, how much of it is intellectual property and how much of it is your original idea. And so I'm, I'm very, very careful. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, yeah. A, it's, it's a smooth road. Usually a lot of times you can just email the company, uh, the small yeah. people and be like, Hey, can I do this? And usually you get a positive because they want to, it helps advertise them. Yeah. Uh, but the bigger companies are harder to reach and sometimes they don't care uh, unless you're making yeah. thousands a month and they're like, Hey, 
Where's where's my cut? You yeah, know? exactly. Like Disney, Disney. I know um, for for Etsy, I I when I first started my Etsy store, and I still do not do not know why they decided. But my the first time I opened my Etsy store, they tried to ban it, and I don't know why they tried to ban it because I was using my own molds and everything. But all I can assume is I mentioned something offhandedly about some sort of fandom and they were like nope ban that's an intellectual property and so yeah. I'm, I'm very careful especially now because i'm like i don't want to get banned from that scene yeah i i don't know it's one of those weird uh like i deal with a lot of writers now and it's a huge conversation today about writing and ip and stuff like that and it's that they hold that tight companies just do it because they make money off of the ip but uh, usually in that with like social media, it's really hard to get a lot of things out there because everybody's writing it. Everybody's doing stuff like it. And, you know, now they just put it in an algorithm. If this is said or this or this combination of things, yep. It yep, automatically, and they'll flag it, they'll mm -hmm. flag it automatically mm -hmm. stop, stop doing it. And nine times out of, well, seven times out of 10, uh, that it, it's not meant, it wasn't meant to be closed out. It just happens yep. to coincide with the, uh, you know, sequence that they have. So. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're a small maker, you just have to be very careful because, you know, that's a source of income for you. And so you just have to kind of be aware of where the boundaries are, even if they're not exactly perfectly set and be like, I'm going to try and not go near there just in case. Yeah. 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 But usually you get a nice letter first, uh, cease and desist. And then you're, okay, <laughs> yeah. I totally got it. you know, that's, that's that whole, uh, you know, ask for forgiveness afterwards. Uh, but if you keep doing it, then obviously they keep coming at you. But usually they start off with a really nice stern letter of saying, stop it. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, well, I, I got this far and, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. <clears throat> so, yeah, Etsy doesn't, they just ban you. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, I, I didn't even think about that for maximum role because we're going to be adding, you know, artists and dice makers and stuff. But I don't think I'm going to have anything crazy like that. I was just everybody individually will be held responsible for their own work. So LLC. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you go after my company, but you know, I'll be all right. <laughs> and, and you know, like the trade, like my logo, this dragon that we're going to be putting on dice, uh, I'm getting it trademarked and it's going to be about eight months. And there's a three month period where, you know, Hasbro or Wizards of the Coast could be like, ah, no. Uh, but after that, you know, right now, there's like 140 symbols that are that kind of resemble the dragon. Uh, you know, that's one of those things. But once once you get past that hurdle, then you're good. You can do whatever you want with it because it's your property. So it's yeah. more expensive. Yeah. It's an expensive process. But yeah. again, if I get sued, if the Wizards of the Coast came after me, they'll go after the company and I'm like, ah, oh, the company folded. I don't know what happened. <laughs> you know, so whatever. I'm not making millions of dollars, so it's not that big of a deal. Uh, yeah so. yeah and that's an interesting an interesting point with um with masters and getting your own logo put on your dice i know that i've had at least one person email me and they're like hey your logo is very similar to my logo and i'm like so it, it, it you kind of have to it's very difficult um unless you exactly like you you, you really 
need to be careful with logos because like yeah it's fun and and I started this as a hobby and I ended up getting my my master's done with a very specific drawing that I did myself um and I didn't just take it off the internet and so it's it's that that's that's another thing with with different dice makers and I'm not sure if that's going to be an issue in the long run um as far as I know all dice makers that I've talked to are very very kind and very very um understanding because you know it's it's just a, it's it's a way to sign your art in a lot of ways um on, on and a, it's not yeah on a business aspect when someone says like oh that looks a lot like mine cool show me the government uh patent number for it and yep. uh i'll stop doing it yeah uh, but yeah. i could say that the same thing with someone that has a dragon and a microphone together it doesn't matter i mean yeah, unless, yeah, unless exactly. they have that patent number which takes a year and a half i'm looking at about 16 months to even get it approved but again three thousand dollars three thousand dollars later <laughs> it's an expensive process so yeah that's why when people work that looks like mine because uh when you do trademark something there's categories and i was going to do dice i was going to do the symbol for the dice that's an extra three thousand dollars right there just to have that mm-hmm. and you can't do dice you have to do the box that the dice come in. You have to have, so the boxes have to be made with your logo on it. The dice inside of it have to have it. I'm like, oh, that's, nope, I'm good. So, you know, it is a hard thing because there's only so many images out there that people want to see. Like they want letters or a style of lettering. And, you know, it's one of those things that it's it's hard and, and everybody wants to have their own little thing. So getting it drawn yourself and the image that I saw, but the, the coin that you sent the image for, that's amazing. And I, I don't think anybody could say like, Oh, that looks too, you know, similar. And I'm like, well, okay, cool. Then, you know, that's two people had a really great idea then. Yeah. Are they selling yeah. a thousand dice? I mean, what, <laughs> what's the problem? They're just upset you're selling more than they are. I mean, probably, probably. I think that there's, you know, so in the dice, there's a lot of sensitivity because of there has been some controversy with one of the big, and I don't even want to mention names, but one of the bigger dice makers and her mold or her dice like mold being stolen by a uh, mass production company in China. Um, And yeah, I don't know the full story of that. I just know that there's a lot of sensitivity. And then, like, some people do get sensitive. Like, that looks too much like this other design that this other person. But, I I mean, really, I think uh, Laura Darkmoon said it best. We're always going to draw inspiration from each other as dice makers. Yep. I mean, can, can any of us honestly say we haven't seen an awesome, like, set of dice that another person has made and been like, right. I want to try something similar to that. And that has inspired a set that you've made, yep. um, you know, because we don't own, like, gold foil or the iridescent. It's the Petri foil. effect, yeah, you, you start, know? You start you looking like, at the, the, oh, the people that like, made the present, <laughs> the people that made the, pre- you know, that it, people that, like, that image looks like this person's image they have nothing to do with like the entire process anyway they're just no. wanting to to start this fire to see what happens or get get their 10 seconds of fame on on the internet with you know bagging on people or being like now it'd be one thing if like this dice maker came up and, and like said hey and like showed them like hey i i did this a year ago and i'm doing this constantly uh did you like did you borrow it or whatever you know that kind of thing that'd be different than like 
this person that happened to scroll through their dice and be like, oh, look at that. Oh, that looks like that person. Ooh, I'm going to start something. So I know sometimes you just got to go with it and um, keep doing what you do uh, passionate wise because, you know, eventually we're, people are going to end up accidentally copying each other, not even knowing that they've done that. Yep. Uh, you know, it happens. We do it all the time. We imitate each other without meaning to, you know, right. like, exactly. exactly. I'll see yeah. somebody come out with a set of dice. That's very similar to something. And I'm like you where I, I have probably 50 sets that haven't been finished right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. My dream. <laughs> I've got a whole bin of unfinished dice. Uh-huh. Um, and so like, I'll see it come out like a few months before I haven't had a chance to finish those dice. And I'm like, well, I guess we've got similar dice, whatever. Like one, one maker who is uh, more hobbyist than like seller saw one of my sets and bought them and then actually made her own like spin on it. And I thought that was great. Like, yeah, you, I love it. So exactly, I, you know, and she's like, yeah, so I kind. Can... Like, I would never get mad at somebody else for that. Um, I would be suspicious if somebody else had a logo that was just like mine because it's a like Medusa with the polyhedral. Yeah, on the right, right. So I could see like a logo being like an issue, but just like I make a you know 15, 20 different sets of dice and I do a different image on all of them. You're ha you're gonna bump into someone else and you can do different yeah colors. yep oh definitely i think logos are pretty much like that that's the golden thing kind of like with writers they're writing their words you know they they want to get paid for their word count or they're like i want to take my work with me because they're having <laughs> issues or whatever and you know but that's their like ip that's their little thing kind of like with dice makers um that image that they put on the high and low side that's their thing you know that's so it's really, no, I, I've figured pretty much every industry, including acting, yeah. uh, there's always going to be something like that that comes along where people are, someone always has a negative opinion about something uh, and, and wants to stir the pot to see what it's going. But Oh, yeah. See what shakes out. That's that's always that's always how it's I've found. And I've found with most dice makers, almost every single person that I have spoken to, big or small, if I like something that they did and I want to know how they did it, it doesn't hurt to ask. And generally they'll tell you. Yeah. Because, you know, it's not you're not stealing customers from them. You're learning. And right. it's such a beautiful community because of that, because I know a lot of artists, yeah. um, uh, traditional media, you know, 2D artists, sometimes they, well, for instance, if you're ordering, um, I think like keychains and stuff like that, like acrylic keychains, people will guard where they got those keychains from. They're, they're the people with their life. They will not tell you because they feel like if you know where they got their acrylic keychains made, that if you flood that particular maker, then the, um, the quality will go down. And so, and so like, they will not tell you at all, yeah. but with dice making, cause that was, yeah, I know yeah. that, that was, that was, that was where I came from. Like that was the, the, the world I came from and I got to dice making and I'm like, everybody is so nice and they're yeah. willing to, you know, share their experiences and share their troubleshooting. And it's just such a wonderful community. Oh yeah. And, and all the videos that people have made to help each other out, not just like 
for the public, but just like even on the Facebook groups of like the makers, like, or like just answering people's questions about things, putting together documents with their own personal time to like make the dice making Bible, I call it. Yeah. You know? Yes. Um, <laughs> the Xanadar's Guide to Dice yeah. Making, you know. Those, um, those videos you know, are yeah, lifesavers. Like, all of them yeah yes for sure and like like designing um you know even like the figuring out the fonts and putting the files on there so people can print masters yes everything and I love it so much and it was such a good thing for me I also started probably around the time that the pandemic um started it was a little before that but um you know it was it was like just being like welcomed with a big hug and like having a sense of community when you really need one, right? Yeah, <laughs> when you're cut off from everybody else, it's it was just it's been lovely. It's been fantastic. I think that's one of the you know that's why we wanted to do a, a series on on maximum roles to to talk with you know a bunch of dice people and then hopefully you know I want to do like I said I want to do like a big one where we have like ten dice makers come on and like build that community where everybody can talk about their stuff and not feel like everybody's trying to uh you know take from each other and i don't get that perception and i've started to follow some of these pages and stuff and and everybody's pretty open and and free about like how to do stuff and all their videos uh and making dice masters uh i i was like oh this be easy i'll just i'll just print now it, it takes me about two hours to put all the supports on each individual dice then it takes two hours to print uh one set of dice i do them in sets instead of mm -hmm. doing like a set of seven i'll do like eight twenties and 40 or 24 d4 diamonds you know and i'll do them like that because they come out better when you print them uh all the same shape and that's something i learned on my own because i used to just do one set at a time that take almost three hours to do like a whole set and that's because the printer is trying to do the d4 and the d20 and all those at the same time and i'm like oh if i just make it do all d4s at once i cut the time in half and so you know i haven't put that out there yet to, i didn't want people like yeah stupid you know <laughs> <laughs> no. but uh you know that's one of those things where i was like I, it's a learning curve and even making the dice masters is um to print an entire set of seven of uh, I think I do, I think I, an entire day, one whole bottle of resin got me 15 full sets uh, wow. of dice, but it was an, from 8 a.m. to uh, 2 a.m. It was constantly printing, so it's a long process when it comes to that. I'm like, oh, you're hanging in there, buddy, and, and they all came out like there wasn't an issue because sometimes they don't come out, and you're like, no, it's a waste of time, but it, it worked. Um, so it's a long process from the beginning of the dice to the end of the dice, and it's definitely mm -hmm. worth a hundred bucks. It's definitely worth, you can go to Amazon and yep. buy a $6 set of dice. Very simple, very plain come from, you know, a giant manufacturer. But when you get the, you know, you get that custom set of dice from a custom maker, it's a whole different story. Like I have, I have a lot of Norse foundry dice because I, I, I'm on their discord and stuff and I order a lot of their metal dice, but I use those way more than I do any other dice because 
they're really cool. They're handmade and, uh, and they're worth, you know, the hundred bucks per set. Uh, and I feel like that for, you know, you guys that sit there and like 10, 20, 40, 60 hours on, on dice. And then someone's like, ah, oh, $30 is so much money. Why would you charge 30 bucks? And I'm like, well, that's like a full day's worth of work just for one set of dice, you know? And uh, It is. And you're guaranteed quality too, because I guess before I got into it, um, I, I know that I get this question a lot, you know, are your dice balanced? Well, they're just about as balanced as every other dice that you can make. You're guaranteed, well, not guaranteed, but you have a chance of not having balanced dice if you get mass manufactured ones, because sometimes they take shortcuts and they put like powder in the middle of their dice, especially if they're not clear. And so sometimes I've seen videos on YouTube where people will cut their dice in half because they're like, I don't understand. It's not rolling. You know, it seems like it's favoring the seven or whatever, the seven base on the D20. And it's because they just, they're, they were cheaply made. And you know that you get quality with handmade dice. Um, and yeah, I mean, unless you're going to go and gamble, you know, in Nevada, um, you don't, your <laughs> the dice are just about as balanced as you need them to be. It's in, unless you specifically ask for like, I have a bead, for instance, that I'm going to put in a D20, but it's not going to be balanced necessarily unless I get it straight in the middle. So I'm not going to say, oh, hey, this is a balanced dice. But like, it just, it's one of those things where you're getting quality, you know, you're getting a usable product, you're getting a piece of art, um, you know, that's unique. Even if I made the same set um, over and over, it's still going to be slightly different, you know, so you're getting an art piece and, and yeah. it's, I think it's worth it. Well, they are art and that's what it comes down to. Cause it's like, you wouldn't blink at spending $80 for a painting or a yeah. hundred bucks for a painting. Right. Like, uh -huh. why are you blinking at, at spending, you know, cause you're getting an, a piece of art. I mean, well, seven pieces of art. Yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. And, exactly. And at my dice personally are more tend to be unless there's like an inclusion like you're talking about and I'm never going to claim and I never claim that mine are balanced but uh if I'm asked you know I you know these are have like very few bubbles um you know like I have a pressure pot so there's almost never bubbles in them yeah. which yeah. impacts the but if you like even see like Chessex dice there are bubbles in there there yep. are sprue marks yep you're getting higher quality than what you would get from a mass produced dice. Definitely. My pressure pot was worth every penny. I'm here to tell you. I know, right? Every <laughs> penny. Like game changer. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had no idea that it took all those extra things. I was like, oh, I'll just print the dice and then like, I'm good to go. No. I mean, I, I, I think you can. I think you can print dice but then they're the same color and I'm, I'm trying to ask out there if I could take multicolors of resin because uh, I know if you do black uh, sometimes it, it won't leave the plate uh, and it'll stick to the bottom and then you won't okay. get a good dice so when you use black resin for some reason or another it doesn't print correctly so I'm trying to mm -hmm. figure out oh if I take this green that I have and some of the clear and I do like a weird I just let it do its thing and would it do that or would it mess up the print process and I I, I might try to do that 
uh, this week because I do have green and I have clear and I want to see if it would do something like that uh, because again it's a master but if I can do like some type of color with it I'm like oh I could just use this I mean yeah I, I mean I don't I don't see why not it's made of resin and resin is all pretty made of the same kind of stuff you know I don't have the patience to sand, so I just wanted to see if it worked and then maybe start a new trend out there. Sure doesn't. Uh, I, yeah, that's why Jenna helps out so much. I sent her like 146 uh, dice masters. I was like, okay, here you go. Ah, <laughs> uh, have fun. I was like, I gave you 48 D6 diamonds because uh, they're cool. Uh, because you can put so many of them, and I have so much. Because every time you do it, it's not like the machine tells you, like, oh, you only need this much resin. So I just fill it up to the max line, and I let it go down until I uh, let's until see how many dice Yeah, and then I'm yeah. like, can I get one more set? Can I get one more? And it keeps going, and eventually I'm like, okay, okay, I don't want to waste the time. I don't want to ruin it uh, because then, you know, if it doesn't, if it prints lopsided, then it's worthless. But Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's and how that's I end up with someone that's in D6s. That's really what's been really helpful with my science masters because I worked in a lab for 10 years. Um, and I, so I'm, I, I'm not mixing resin correctly, um, but I know that some new dice makers have because it's very precise. If you get it a little, little bit more hardener or a little bit of the regular, regular part, one or the other and it's a one-to-one -one ratio you're it's not gonna cure <laughs> right then you have sticky gummy messes oh that's so sad yes it um, sometimes so sad. in your mold and i'm so impatient i don't want to clean the mold that i just like i toss it um in one of my old bottles of resin and like then i just take it to the the um the toxic waste place yep. or whatever yep. in my town yep <laughs> I said, yeah, I'll deal with this. That's why like, like I'm just gonna make a new mold. I'm not messing with that anymore. I yeah, I I hate when I get the uh, ratios off. I have found that if you put just like like five percent more resin than hardener in there, just like a tiny bit more, you'll get a harder cure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. And it's it's one of those things where it's it, it's one of those you you can't really be like well this is the rule because it's always different for everybody but you that's that's yeah. part of the the learning process where you're just like okay well um I know that I started with UV resin which is really not the way to go with dice FYI but I started with UV resin and uh, um and it was it was definitely a process harder then epoxy resin and so when I switched from UV to epoxy which is what you're supposed to use um I had to learn that I was bearing down too hard when I was sanding so it's, it's definitely yep. a learning curve interesting yes yes instant there's some resins that are up here just a little bit softer softer than the others too so like it's and you Just have to figure yeah. out which resin you like for what. Like I've got like four types of resin that I use for different types of things. I've yeah, because yeah, petri. <laughs> I mean, for instance, if you really want good tendrils coming down with your petri dice, 
it, it really depends. I use a slightly thicker resin because you get nicer tendrils, but then some people like it thinner, so it'll go down faster. So it really depends. Hmm. I like Naked Fusion for Petri. That's like my yes. go-to. I, yes. I don't, yeah. I don't even defer from that because I just get such pretty results. Yes. Yes. And, and that's another thing is your, is, is this hobby and or job is so expensive because you, you have to use stuff in order to figure out if it's work, if it's worth working. And so you're yep. wasting money. You just may or may not get a good outcome. Right. <laughs> you don't know. Definitely. Well, that's, yeah, that's how I felt about the pottery wheel. I was like, yeah, I'm not here for this. I'm, I'm yeah. not, I'm not a fan. Yeah. You don't want to get I that should sell it, but whatever. I don't what you should do is get the, the sanding wheel with the pedals so you can get like your workout while you're like moving. You know, yeah, multitasking. Maybe we can get, um, uh, what's that, that um, Peloton to do something like that. Oh, <laughs> attach so. it to your Peloton. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I got my desk done. Um, we're coming up on that hour mark. Uh, it was, you know, it's been an amazing time. You want to give any. Uh, uh, plugins out there so that when folks listen to this, they can hunt you down and give you even more work than, uh, <laughs> than you're already doing. I already have. Yes. Um, I am, like I said, like you, they guys said earlier, I'm the folded crane dice. Um, I'm on Facebook and I'm also on Instagram. I don't have a YouTube yet. Um, but I'm going to be looking into trying to make some introductory, uh, two dice making videos. I know a lot of people do, but when I was starting out, it, I was really happy to see people doing dirty pours in several different ways so I could find what worked for me. Right. Um, so I'm the folded crane dice um, and I really appreciated you guys taking the time with talking with me. All right, cool. Well, thanks for joining yeah, it's us. Been so much fun. Alrighty. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maximum Roll. Join us each week as we interview folks within the gaming and entertainment industry, such as writers, illustrators, artists, podcasts, Twitch and YouTube streamers, social media content creators, handcrafted gaming apparel and merchandise, and much more. You can find Maximum Roll on Apple and Spotify and anywhere else you find your podcast. If you want to be interviewed on the show, just email us at MaximumRollEntertainment at gmail.com or Instagram at Maximum underscore Roll underscore Entertainment underscore LLC. And if you like Maximum Roll, check out some of the other Dungeons & Dragons podcasts and streams on the Maximum Roll Entertainment Podcast Network, such as, uh, you know what, I'm just going to let them tell you about their shows. Looking for unique and fun twists to your normal D&D podcast? Well, then check out Crumpets and Kerosene. This fun-filled homebrew game takes our adventurers from the modern world into a land of roving gangs of killer clowns, creepy British children, and the mating habits of dragons, and even Santa Claus. Join Jason, Alora, Merle, Sophia, Quentin, and Serene as they quest their way through the realms of mystery and evil. You can find Crumpets and Kerosene on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, and everywhere else you find podcasts. You can also find us on Patreon. Just search Crumpets and Kerosene and get even more wild and crazy fun.
Hey, hey, stop on by DD420.com, where Guild of Role Players brought and bound together by Common Drive, the love of role playing games. We bring our individual skills and personalities together to breathe life into the worlds and games created by our game masters. We also offer podcasts such as Late Night with Jess and Jam. We have custom content, a bestiary for 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons, and a Discord server where you can find games or just hang out and make new friends. That's DD420.com. Need some excitement on that morning drive to work? Welcome, adventurers, to Constructed Chaos, the live play Dungeons & Dragons podcast full of unpredictable antics, borking doggos, and engaging fantasy storytelling and roleplay. With sessions recorded in a professional studio setting, you'll feel every bit of the action and hear every snide remark by the snarky NPCs. Jump in and have a listen to our flagship campaign, The Wrath of Zealous, to help us construct some chaos. This is Mark Reinhagen, creator of Vampire the Masquerade and all those other monster games. If you like what I did before, you're going to love the Accursed series of games using a narrative version of the D20 5e game system, in which you play cursed beings in a dark fantasy setting called Lostlorn. I'm working with a collective of artists, writers, and game designers called the Tailspinners to bring this world and these games to life, and you're welcome to join us on the ride. We are releasing a new zine every month, uh, which in a series of six, detail and outline a unique and amazing campaign setting. We started with Bloodstone Isle and are moving next onto Invictus, the city of bridges. For a nominal sum, you can get these delivered to you monthly on Patreon. Just type in patreon.com backslash lostlorn. Thanks for listening. Ali here, announcing our newest Patreon exclusive show, Call of Kapali. Join all the players from Compass and Kerosene as they play brand new characters in the eldritch world of Cthulhu. Set in England in the 1960s, these humble folk must delve into the dark corners of reality and face the most dreadful horrors in the great unknown. If you want to hear me spook our players and unravel the secrets of the universe, be sure to join our second tier Patreon level and tune in every month for Call of Cthulhu. In a world of magic and mystery... Where danger lurks around every corner, a new type of hero emerges. Brave, resourceful, potty trained. I, I, poo, I, I, I pooped in my pants. Well, maybe not potty trained. Coming soon only to the Crumpets and Kerosene Patreon, it's Babies and Broadswords. Someone please my pants Games like Dungeons and Dragons are more popular than ever. But with tons of rules, mountains of books, and so many dice, it can be hard to know where to get started. That's where Dungeoneering with Jason comes in. We're Dungeon Masters for Hire. Take a break and let us run your next game. One-on-one tutorials are also available for new DMs. Contact Dungeoneering with Jason today. Adventure is just a click away.